Good morning and thank you for joining this live BSI panel discussion on the fire safety industry and the IOT. I'm Emma Quigley and I'm here today to facilitate. I'm delighted to welcome some fantastic panellists from the fire safety industry and from BSI, of course, and I will soon ask them to introduce themselves. But first, I'd like to make you aware that you have joined this session in a mute-only mode, but please do type in questions, any observations and comments in the control panel. We really want to get the temperature of the room from you, so please do take up the opportunity to use that function. We will also allow time at the end for Q&As, but please do, like I said, mention comments, etc., in that control box and we'll get to them as best we can. We'll also run a few polls during the course of the discussion to understand who our audience are, get your thoughts and feedback as we go through the discussion. So I'm going to quickly hand you over initially to David from BSI to introduce himself and allow the panel all to introduce themselves in the round. So thank you very much and over to you, David. Thanks, Emma, and hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on what's the first session of our Masterclass Academy around IoT in the fire industry. Um, so I've got an excellent panel today. Um, me, my role here is mainly to facilitate the industry experts. Um, I'm the Global Director for Digital and, Pro and Connected Product Certification within BSI, looking at IoT, connected software apps, this kind of thing, right the way across all industries. Um, but with Within BSI, we've had a particular focus on this particular area and really engaging with the FIA as well to collaborate and really help inform the industry and also um, facilitate industry-wide discussion to really see how we can move forward and explore the benefits uh, that connected technology can bring, but being very, very mindful of the risks as well. So um, that's enough for me. I'm just going to go around the rest of the panel in the list in the order I've got in front of me. So if I can... Uh, Go over to Nick next to just do uh, a quick introduction on yourself and 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 why you're here today. Thanks. Thank you, David. Uh, it's Nick Rutter. I'm a founder and chief product officer at Fire Angel. Um, I've been responsible for driving a product strategy at Fire Angel since the inception of the business in 1998. But I think more importantly for this panel, um, I've been responsible for driving our IoT strategy since we first started working on it in anger around 2012. Thanks. And now if I can move on to Jason, just to give a quick introduction. Yes, good morning. I'm uh, Jason Perrins, Managing Director of FireBlitz. We are a manufacturer of uh, domestic smoke, heat and uh, gas detection. Uh, we're actually at the very, very early stages of, of looking at uh, IoT. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to give the slightly naive view that may align with uh, some of those attending the seminar. Thanks, Jason. And that's a really, really good point is we understand there's a big spread of knowledge experience uh, across the across the industry here. And so we really try to represent on the panel discussion that same spread of knowledge and everyone's viewpoint is really, really critical. So thank you for that, Jason. Adam, if I can now ask you to give a quick introduction. Thanks, David. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam Turdrake and I'm one of the founders at Homelink and also the head of IoT. Um, we're a division of ACO and we specialize in IoT, data analytics and machine learning. So we're the we're sort of like the data side of the business, um, you know, make, making sense of all the information we're getting from our sensors. Um, and I'm here today to learn, you know, what are the challenges the industry is facing? Uh, what are any barriers to adoption? Thanks, Adam. And then finally, over to Richard. Um, 
Over to you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Richard Gurney, Group Certification and Laboratory Manager for BSI's Fire Detection and Suppression Practice, where we test the hardware as opposed to the, uh, the IoT. I've been at my BSI 25 years now and remained in that practice since day one. Thanks a lot, Richard. And um, hopefully you'll see that we've got a real spread here in terms of where people are on the journey. And the last person really to bring into that, who again kind of reaches right across this to a certain extent, would be Aston. If you wouldn't mind now giving uh, a, a bit about yourself, uh, your individual background, and also on FIA as well. Sure. So, hi, everyone. I'm Aston Bowles. Um, I've been working in IoT in the fire industry now for uh, about eight years through various OEM uh, companies on the part one side, so on the com more commercial side. Uh, I now work as director of marketing for TO, which is a digital fire records company, so digitizing the fire logbook and asset management, uh, which is a bit different for me. Uh, I'm really here because I'm the chair of the IoT forum at the Fire Industry Association, which is a forum we set up to, uh, to advance discussions and provide a platform for, for everyone in the industry, from service professionals to manufacturers to legislators to BSI, to get together to understand some of the challenges and, and help us find a way to move forward and share experience. Thanks a lot, Aston. And again, uh, reinforcing that point here about really collectively bringing um, the stakeholders together and um, getting some clarity on this very, very important topic is so important to you and important to BSI as well. So the first thing I'd like to do actually is um, really see, we've, we've talked about us, but just to understand a bit more about who we've got in the audience today. It was great to see from all those who have signed up such a, uh, a wide range um, uh, people obviously very, very close to this. Um, but if I could hand over to Emma and Wahida now just to look at um, poll number one and just to really find out a little bit about um, who we've got actually listening to us today. Thank you, David. So, yes, just to reiterate and find out a little bit about yourselves, which of the following best describes your business situation in relation to IoT? And we have a few options there. Currently offer IoT-enabled fire detection equipment, working on developing IoT-enabled fire detection equipment, considering developing IoT-enabled fire detection equipment, um, information gathering or other. And um, if you do select other, we'd really appreciate if you could write in the chat function what that is. So I'll just give you a couple more seconds to cast your votes. So which of the following best describes your business situation? Offering, working on developing, considering developing, info gathering or other. And then we'll have a quick look at the results. So just give that a second to display the results. And what we have in our audience is we have 13% that are currently offering an IoT enabled fire detection equipment or product. 27% working on developing IoT enabled fire detection equipment, 0% um, at considering. And then we've got 47%. So a lot of you, as mentioned before, probably in that information gathering, still understanding stage, and 13% have cast their vote for other. So having a quick look at some of those others, um, I think we, I think people have been reluctant to put that in, but never mind, they're under other. So that's the uh, biggest volume of you at the information gathering stage. So I'm going to hand you back to David and the panellists. 
Thanks, Emma. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a good reflection of, of where we would see the state of the industry today, really, and, and to a certain extent, you know, here on the panel as well. Um, Aston, I'm just going to go over to you there from the FIA's perspective. You know, this, this to me looks like relatively early stage compared to where I would see it stay in the lighting industry, but that's probably also a reflection of the associated risk and this kind of thing with the technology. Aston, is that kind of spread then from, you know, if you're looking at, say, a sixth or so actually move, actively moved ahead more behind that thinking about it and the vast majority still weighing up about where this really makes sense. Does that really reflect what you see or, or is it something different? We we ran a survey before we started the uh, IoT forum at the FIA to try and just what you're doing here now to get a picture of where our members were. Uh, and uh, so it's a survey to people about IoT, so it's somewhat biased, but 87% of the people we spoke to said that they were actively involved in uh, in IoT and creating IoT products, which was uh, both surprising and, and really, uh, really good to hear. They they raised a four main barriers really, which was uh, the biggest one was that customers just weren't aware of the benefits. So it wasn't so much the industry; it was downstream from that. Their customers didn't understand the benefits of IoT and fire, and they struggled to explain some of those. Uh, standards and regulations was the next big one. They were the two biggest by miles and, and very equal in percentages. Uh, the standards and regulations just weren't ready for people to uh, to have a framework to work within in, in part one fire in part six fire as well we very much work within the standards framework so of course we have to uh, and people just didn't understand how it iot interacted with those standards which is both i guess a barrier but also perhaps perhaps a, uh, a driver for innovation 30 percent of people thought that technology wasn't quite ready for them yet uh, and 30 percent of people thought that their internal skill levels weren't quite ready so, you know, right. it kind of reflects some of the things you just found out. Yeah, it's, I suppose the main point there, it seems like more were actively involved, but I suppose that active involvement is still be a range of activities. No, thanks. Yeah, I'm very absolutely. impressed with you reading really off the stats that easily and effectively, unless you've got them in the corner there on your other screen. Very I've got impressed. Them in the corner. Yeah, they are. I guessed as much. There we go. No, thanks a lot. Now, just going to move on very quickly to, um, to another poll, um, just really about something that's become newsworthy um in the last few months and has triggered a lot more interest and activity we've seen around iot right now which is around some um imminent legislation or regulation around iot from the uk government um so emma can i just go back to you and quickly dive into poll two yes of course thank you david so um are you aware of the uk government introduction of consumer iot cybersecurity legislation coming into force. A very quick one here, it's a yes or no. Are you aware of that imminent UK um, legislation coming into force? So I'll just leave it for a few moments for you to cast your votes. And a reminder again, do please use that chat function to send us your questions and comments. And then if we have a look at those results, that's a somewhat reassuring then that there's 29% <laughs> said yes they are aware but 71% no so I'll hand you back to David in the panel for discussion okay thanks a lot and that's that's really quite interesting and part of this I think will go back to some of the comments we've heard already where there's a focus largely potentially on the commercial aspects rather than say on on consumer what I'm going to do now, this absolutely is not going to be a death by PowerPoint, but I've just got, as inevitable for me, I've got a few things I want to just really kind of ram home about 
where things are with regulation, but what's the biggest story behind that? So consumer regulation, you know, it's coming around IoT, um, but what's the real story here? So we're at the point now where for the last few years, I've been working uh, myself very collaboratively with the UK government and key industry stakeholders, looking to shape best practice around IoT. The government has really been focusing on protecting the consumer. That's where they've seen there's been a big gap in particular from uh, manufacturers not taking um, ownership of the security of their product seriously and massively putting the onus of that onto the consumer. But ultimately, this is something that's now driving some regulation that does to a certain extent affect us all. What's the real story behind this? So within the regulation that's coming up, the regulation is effectively going to say that the first three principles contained within a UK IoT security uh, code of practice that's now a European standard will, will basically become mandatory, apply to all consumer connected devices, IoT devices. And by consumer IoT, this also becomes a little bit of a woolly question, but the broad definition from DCMS is around a product that's intended to be purchased by a natural person, by an individual, as opposed to a B2B type of sale. So what does, that, what does that mean? Does that mean then that that's where the problem is and anyone who's just involved in the commercial side of things can relax, put their feet up and just kind of crack on, no problem? Well, not really, because there's a very, very important story behind this. And what we see is now a massive increase in attacks through IoT devices, attacks on IoT devices and attacks to a business enabled through IoT devices that don't have um, appropriate levels of security control. And as IoT devices are proliferating, so the attacks are also proliferating. And a very key important point we'll come on to is that as a lot of the um, artificial intelligence and smart tools that are associated with IoT to really draw the benefits out from all the data are being developed, Anything that's developed for good can be used for bad. And though there's still, behind this increased number of attacks, still somehow a bit of a denial that there's really a problem. Either my device is just a little widget, no one's going to be interested in attacking that, or we use um, a third-party cloud service provider, you know, Azure or AWS, and we use some fantastic ministry-grade encryption, so we're safe, aren't we? But the bottom line is, if you connect your IoT device, you will be attacked. And what we are seeing is IoT devices remain extremely vulnerable. And I talk a lot about the different types of um, core areas of risk and vulnerability around IoT devices. That is loss of control of the device itself, theft or ransom of data. And then the third one is around denial of service attacks, where IoT devices are used as a third party vector to be hijacked, taken over, and then used to take out other domains and servers, and refer back to the Mirai botnet of 2016. March this year, exactly that same attack vector is being used again, and IoT devices remain extremely vulnerable. And here, as it says, there could be potentially really serious circumstances uh, around those vulnerabilities and pretty terrible consequences as well. As you can see within the industry we're talking through here, that's particularly a concern. So very briefly, why is it such an issue with IoT devices? And the key point is our standard 
information and communications technology you know, that we use, whether it's mobiles, laptops, etc., we come from a long background of information security, cybersecurity, and tend to have the physical size, space, capacity, the processor power, the memory power, the communications bandwidth, and to even the cost budget built in at the outset. IoT devices are coming in with just connectivity in mind being put into a whole range of applications here, and not necessarily with security by design as one of the first design principles. And therefore, very quickly, they can be limited in the physical size, um, space available, processor power, memory, communications bandwidth, as well as price to actually enable security. And if it's not designed in at the outset for all those reasons, it becomes nigh impossible to retrofit it. So IoT remains a specific, highly vulnerable area. Now, when we come on to the regulation, and this is a general comment on IoT best practice as well. I was talking about that code of practice in the UK, now the European standard. The regulation that's coming in for IoT will talk about those first three things you can see in front of you now. No default passwords, a vulnerability disclosure policy, and a clear policy on how long you'll keep the security software updated. But if you look around the other principles around it, some pretty important things there around keeping uh, credentials and sensitive data secure, secure communications, making installation and maintenance of devices to maintain that security easy, ensuring personal data is protected, none of that's covered. So a product could be compliant with that regulation and have no effective security on it whatsoever. So two key points here. Firstly, firstly that though this is focused at consumer IoT, all IoT is a major risk area. Secondly, regulation that's coming in is absolutely the baseline, bottom line, first step towards an effective cybersecurity hygiene posture for a connected device. So at that point, setting the scene here, um, I really want to go back to what um, Aston was really referring to and then kind of put it out there to um, to everybody what you see as the key um, challenges based on the issues that Aston raised around, um, around successful adoption of offering IoT. So can I just go back to poll number three, please? We seem to be someone else has taken control and we seem to be zapping through the slides here. Am I over to I, you? I, yeah, thank you, David. I think we had an issue with the slides not showing for um, some of our audience. So we'll make them available um, after the panel discussion, of course. Um, I think because you explained it so clearly, I'm hoping it was um, still very clear for everybody, but we'll make those slides available and hopefully we've overcome that now. So apologies for that. So on to the next poll, yes? Yes, if you want to just step through those slides. So we're now at the first one here where I'm referring to the government regulation. We're now talking about, yeah, here are the, the real risks and the head in the sand approach from industry onto the next one. And here, news from March 2021 that that now five-year-old attack vector has resurfaced and IoT remains extremely vulnerable. To the next slide. This is the key one. So here are the 13 principles that encompass device security best practice. And as you can see, those first three are absolutely 
they're there the regulation and yes they are fundamental but it doesn't cover secure communications secure credentials validating input data making instrument installation and maintenance easy so those that regulation is absolutely the bare baseline first step you could be compliant with that regulation and effectively have no real cybersecurity controls other than uh, a decent other than not having a default password so that's really the background once again on to poll number three please right thank you david so we're on to the next poll what are the key challenges that your business is facing in relation to iot so is it um, a customer challenge so they're maybe not aware of the benefits they're not prepared for adoption um, internal challenges such as skills level in the organization or the internal investment that's um, needed that the technology isn't quite ready yet not there or the lack of clarity around standards and regulations or the availability of suitable suppliers so quite a bit there to digest I'll give you a few moments to obviously cast your votes and a Apologies again um, about the slides, a little bit of a blip in the system. Um, so luckily David whizzed through those and we will make them available at the end. So we'll have a look at the results on the key challenges facing your organization. So 45%, it's the customer challenge. So obviously probably a mixture there of they're not prepared for adoption, not aware of benefits. 18% of you have said it's internal, so skills level and internal investment. Zero, that the technology is not ready. 27% lack of clarity around standards and regulations, so unsurprisingly. And 9% availability of suitable suppliers. So the big resounding one, customer challenges, and then of course the lack of clarity around standards. So I'm going to pass you back to David and the panelists. Thank you. And I'm going to stop talking at this point because I've, I've droned on enough here. Um, but that kind of reflects a lot what Aston was saying. I now want to go to a, a couple maybe of uh, different ends of the spectrum within the panel discussion. So if I can, Jason, if I can ask you, as you mentioned, kind of relatively early on in the journey here, you know, what what is it that means you are still hmm, just at that first stage of the journey rather than maybe in, being at Adam's point here where it's it's becoming something um, um, fundamental maybe to the business yeah it, from your perspective is it, well, is it the ROA or is it or is it around regulation or not it's it, it's basically it, it seems to us uh, looking at it uh, from a naive perspective that uh, it, it's a very very broad field at the most basic level you know, people are needing to define for themselves what is an IoT device? Are we in the IoT arena? So, because obviously devices might be uh, connected in a smart way through a variety of, of means, through routers, through gateways, direct over cellular networks. So that's a very, very broad church for a start. And does each of those different connection methodologies bring its own requirements to it um a little bit as the discussion that the some of the panel members were having before we started this uh, richard in particular um we've got to remember on these these are fire safety devices as well so whilst there may be overarching principles for iot devices as we go forward i very much suspect that you will then have subsets of regulation and uh, controls that will be specific to these kind of devices, to use the 
the basic analogy that I used before. If your fridge, your Internet of Things connected fridge, fails to tell you for two hours that uh, you've run out of cheese, okay, that's not a great thing. But if your Internet of Things connected smoke alarm fails to tell you that it's gone off for 10 seconds, that's a completely different thing. So it's picking through those things that are overarching. As you said, David, a lot of that seems to be about the pure security element of it, which, of course, is extremely important. Um, but that also has to ensure that it actually covers the functionality of the, the devices. So I noted that uh, that it mentioned in integrity of connection. Well, integrity of connection is going to be even more important for fire detection devices than it is for a lot of other things where as I've already said, a slight delay in knowing what's going on is not going to uh, endanger lives. So it's a complicated picture, and it's one that's not fully formed at the moment. It's it's going to be a developing it's going to be a developing thing, and I think we all need to be prepared that um, you know the field will change slightly in terms of the regulations that are going to be governing us. Now, thank you, Jason. Some really good points there. And, and Emma, I think there's a couple of things here we can really look to how we take these forward and potentially where across the FIA and BSI we can look to focus to bring some clarity. So in particular, we're looking at then what does the connected landscape look like and what are the different implications of connecting through different methodologies? And as an example I can give, working in the security industry, one of the issues we had was around lone workers where suddenly there was, oh, there's a load of connectivity there, there's potentially security risks with lone workers and some of the lone worker alert technologies. When we looked into it, they were using um, the um, basically the mobile phone network as a mobile phone network, not connecting to, there wasn't internet connectivity in there, it was used just forward for messaging, and therefore the risks were totally different to an IoT type of risk when you're talking internet connectivity. I think, Jason, that's, that's the kind of thing where we need absolute clarity if you've got a Bluetooth connected device connected to another Bluetooth connected device and then not connected to the internet, what are the risks there? So I think you're right, there are some, a lot of different scenarios and it would probably be a thing to explore, Emma, is, is looking at what that, that landscape looks like. So a very good point we'll take forward. And the other key point you've raised there as well, you know, is then looking at security isn't the only issue here. It's about the resilience and robustness of, of, the, um, of the overall connection and, and that communication as well. So I think there's a couple of really good points there. Thank you, Jason. Adam, if I can, you know, as someone who's kind of really at the heart of then IoT within within your business, um, where are you on, the, on, the, on that and, and your thoughts on um, where you, know, you see, okay, here's an opportunity that you are actually kind of moving ahead with and, and where you're not? Yeah, sure. So we, we've had a product, um, so we've been working with APO for the last just over two years now, and um, they had a, a connected product um, before we got involved. It was, you know, at very early stages of, of, of an IT product. And what we've done by working together is we've we've addressed uh, a couple of um, requirements, urgent requirements from, from a lot of our customers, and we've developed new products and features around that. But at the point, there's always been this, you know, very high quality, uh, very very strict approach to security. Um, you know, all the new products we've been working on are designed from the ground up to include industry-leading security approaches. Um, and I think what, we, what we've done now is we build up a stable base in which to add new sensing technologies, new applications, 
which we can just build upon, as I said, this, this stable base of security. So we're not reinventing the wheel every time. I think that's really important because quite often, you know, I was a colleague of the day and, you know, five, five years is a sort of a standard period for um, regulations to be reviewed, new standards to be introduced. And, and it's, 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 a, it's a huge period of time. And in, in that five years, there might be new technologies developed, there might be new threats identified. And so, you know, there, there's, this, there's this very um, kind of urgent pressure on manufacturers to keep reinventing, keep on trying new things. And uh, I think what's been important to us is that we've, we've got this very stable base to work with. Um, you know, for example, we use a, we use a 2G uh, GSM connection uh, to, to transfer our data from our devices uh, from, from our gateway. So, you know, that, that's not going to change for the super future. Um, uh, and, you know, in terms of the in, in, in building connectivity, that's our own proprietary protocol. So we've got control over the security there. Um, yeah, thanks. So that's so just to recap there on your approach there is basically then it's around having a stable rock over which you have control that sits at the heart of what you're going to do rather than looking what's the latest shiniest thing I can get off the shelf to get an edge on on a competitor with some functional part of here. The way from your perspective is really having some internal deep domain knowledge um, and a stable rock to build upon. So thanks and that's that's something I can really understand makes sense in terms of reducing uh, the risk exposure of this kind of thing then as well. Obviously I can see there's an inevitable argument about well we always yeah, there's always the next thing coming in. And on that point, the key point you did raise there was around um, the standards and the um, the path really for standards to actually come to the point where they're used by everybody, looking at the inevitable um, time it takes for consensus and for updates and all this kind of thing then as well. So I think one of the issues there, uh, and again for us to take forward and explore a bit more, is what's happening on the standards landscape and how is that evolving to enable it to reflect the latest changes uh, be flexible enough to allow technologies to come in, yet still being robust enough to ensure the key, the key issues are covered. So Emma, that's another really, really key point we need to lock down and make sure that we're informed on as we go forward. Um, Nick, if I can just move on to you to get, get your views on this as well. Yeah, I think we, we've got to look at the context of what we're trying to achieve here and where we're trying to go to. So you take uh, just sort of humble domestic smoke detector. We've been around for an awful long time. Um, we've got, um, you know, quite a large number of IoT uh, domestic smoke detectors in the market at the moment. But what you previously had is a standalone device, often not even interconnected within a property, which was there as a, a life safety device to get somebody alive out of the fire. Um, what is absolutely fundamental, and it's similar to, to um, Adam's, uh, the way Adam explained the ACO approach, that is absolutely fundamental. That has to still do its job as intended by the standalone device standard. Everything it can do IoT-wise is actually over and above that. So it's not, it's not like we're replacing functionality that was done in a different way with functionality using IoT. We've actually still got the core functionality of a standalone domestic smoke alarm, but we're adding the functionality of IoT to it. So the core fundamental is that IoT system cannot interfere with the functionality of the safety device. Once you've done that, everything is over and above. 
However, from an integrity, from a security perspective, you know, it is an evolving space. I think the point you made, David, around the amount of processing power we have compared to, for example, a mobile phone. You know, you look at the chips that on a mobile phone compared to what we can afford to put in a gateway, where we've still got a massive pushback from the market because of the cost of solution compared to a standalone device. That is where the challenge is difficult. And there's no, there's no kind of silver bullet to that. It's going to involve ongoing work from a standards perspective and by the manufacturers constantly in order to deal with new challenges. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So again, Emma, another key theme there is that um, um, those kind of conflicting requirements from different stakeholders there to say, yeah, yeah. from the financially we're saying we need this technology in there at this level. Hey, that's going to push us to a price point here where it's just not going to be viable for a standard consumer product in the consumer market. And that's something we're, by the way, interestingly, we're seeing having very, very similar discussions in the healthcare market now, as you can imagine, the opportunities for consumer products to um, inform um, and pr provide digital healthcare is huge. But then you've got that trade off between making a medical device decision and having um, which then requires a certain level of governance, assurance, trust, provenance around the source of that data down to having a consumer product. So again, these kind of obstacles, Nick, that you're talking about there, maybe we also need to consider this from that wider perspective of how, in general, connectivity and consumer technology has so much to bring to potentially life-saving and critical aspects such as you know, fire detection, such as e-health such as security and maybe this is a in fact the more we can combine these issues together across industries the more powerful a message it is in there and the more benefits then the wider consumer market can uh, can see in upgrading and, and, and bringing more um, robust solutions in so I think Emma that's yet again another really key theme um, thanks Nick and then Richard from from our perspective within BSI um, looking at the kind of products that are coming in, um, from what I've seen, there's a very, very low still amount of IoT connected devices. There might be ones that connect um, wirelessly to other devices within a particular um, installation, but the amount that we're seeing, they're actually looking to move to full IoT connectivity. Um, what's your view and what really comes in and goes through the lab and what, what clients in general are asking? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think mainly is we, we, we can't lose sight that these same devices have their primary function, and that, that's potentially to save lives and assets. Um, you know, the other thought really is that any certified IoT device should also be certified for its primary function. Um, case of a smoke alarm or heat alarm, CI alarm, this would mean compliance with the relevant European, American, AS standards, any local regulations, CE, UKCA. Um, you know, so I, I think I think the, the question the clients are, or the the, the worries is the amount of regulation, David. Yeah, again, a really good point. I mean, I mean, Jason, I know you were saying that really it's um, you can see there's going to be a need for better control and regulation across, particularly maybe the commercial space there might be some standards emerging emerging around consumer and iot security that for instance specifically mentions fire and smoke detectors 
as being in scale. Well, I should have mentioned this, that. But you're looking at the wider perspective there and not just security. Yeah, this this does actually raise another concern and an issue that I think we will all uh, have to address. And clearly, BSI have a major role to play in this. Uh, Richard, Nick and I are long enough in the standards making process to know just how long they take. And there would be a real concern that standards are going to end up being so far behind what's actually going on. You'll be playing guess, you know, it, not, it's not going to quite be Wild West, but we really need to make the standards making process more dynamic and faster to ensure that we're keeping up so that people, we all want to adhere to what's right. But if the, the standards and guidance aren't there, then each is going to go off and do their own thing. And even in relatively simple products like, as Nick mentioned, non-connected smoke alarms, uh, we've taken 15 years to try to uh, agree about how to connect them using 868. So, you know, I, I would genuinely have concerns about standards and guidance for those of us working in the, in the arena, keeping up with, with what's actually going on. I think that's a good point. That's a good point, actually, Jason, because it's not only the the writing of standards from scratch, it's it's the review. You know, it could be every five years a review. Well, something IoT that's moving forward at, at a real pace, you know, standards will be left behind. Yeah, and that, that's something we're seeing right away across the board in digital transformation. So I'm seeing it in um, around IoT, we're seeing it around what's in next generation communications, which is not just 5G, it's also next gen Wi-Fi. And before AI even kicks off, you know, we can see already some major issues with the standard path that the that, that standards take to actually emerge. What I have seen is there's um, more and more coming out in terms of guidance, guidelines and principles, rather than massively prescriptive standards. With the with the um, the objective behind that is let's shape the critical things needed in order to ensure conformance with this particular aspect, whether it's security, whether it is interoperability, but without being so prescriptive that it narrows down the opportunity for innovative solutions or it becomes out of date. So we're seeing much more. I think we'll we'll see an increased amount of that. But the inevitable flip side of a uh, a standard being relatively flexible and guidance is that it's relatively flexible and guidance rather than prescriptive standards. So it's as much a becomes as much a headache. How do you then demonstrate conformity and provide assurance around that? And that's one of the big headaches we're working through on IoT right now. And even in the standard that we are talking about here, this Etsy standard around IoT consumer security, that's great. There's a standard demonstrating conformity to it because it's relatively open guidance is proving a real issue. That's one of the areas we're really focusing on now. So I think one aspect of standards that is changing is moving from being deeply prescriptive to being more and more guidance and best practice. But that then has the next problem of how do you then demonstrate conformance? Um, can I, I just maybe then go back to Adam here then from working in um, uh, IoT quite closely when it comes to coming up with a solution and looking to conform with uh, best practice, this kind of thing. It, 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 is that an issue? I mean, what what do you tend to work to to say right now to say, okay, 
we're now confident that we have the security controls in place that are appropriate for this particular scenario and this kind of device, if I could ask. Was that, was that to me, though? Yeah, the, the, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so I suppose just talking about um, the, the, the products I've had relevant experience with uh, the last two years, um, I think what, what we've done is we, we've, we've generally gone above um, whatever the bare minimums are that have been required in, in various, um, you know, supporting standards. So I think everyone knows uh, when you're bringing, bringing out a new product, uh, you often look at a range of standards. There will be the, the regulatory ones that apply specifically to your, your industry that you have to meet. And there's also a whole host of best practice. And um, what we've done is we, we, we took an approach where um, we're building a 10-year product. So uh, a horrendous challenge in, in engineering, as anyone knows, you've got to start, you've got to stop uh, trying to guess where you're going to be in 10 years. You've just got to draw a line in the sand and, and get as many, um, you know, make as many high quality decisions as you can and, and, then, and then commit to them. And that doesn't mean we can't implement changes. Like uh, anyone, we can, we can implement firmware updates, but, but picking the right hardware and the right hardware security um, tools that will go into the product. That, that, that's, that's a really important part of the process. And I think just going back on um, something Jason said, and I think, I think Nick said it as well, um, for, for us, we, we see the standards as, 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 as a baseline and, and it's, it's, almost, it's almost something that informs um, what our responsibility is going forward, but it's not something that we won't just stick within the standards. We'll, we'll look at the whole life of the product and you know, take that responsibility very seriously. So, It's one of the reasons why we went with the, the BSI pipe mark um, at the commercial level, mainly because it doesn't focus purely on manufacture and point of sale. It looks at the whole life of the product. It looks at how the application itself functions. It looks at all the supporting components in the infrastructure. So, you know, from our point of view, that's that's how we like to operate. We like to look at what, what the market is, is saying is best practice and then take it one step further and try and almost try and second guess what's going to be an immediate threat in the this time or something that, that we can we can build in. Um, so that every every product is, is assessed like that. Um, you know, we've got we've got a whole host of things we're looking at, and um, it, it's the same for, for every one of those. Um, great, thanks, Adam. And, and obviously, I'm not going to bang on around BSI solutions and all that kind of thing. But to address the very issue that Jason was talking around there, that's why we then put the kite mark in here to look at not just here's one standard that we will anchor on, and that's what you need, and that's it but to look at what best practice actually represents and will continue to represent moving forward um, and looking at the organization that sits behind it. When we're putting a mark of trust on a product, and this again, I think is a key area around IoT, a test in the lab won't tell you everything. It won't tell you how that manufacturer keeps control of its supply chain, manages its, its patch management that may again come through a third party. How do you know that that patch has actually been evaluated for what other impact it has across the whole function of the device tested effectively before it's rushed out, supported. How do you know that organization can cope if there's a need to step back and roll back from that patch and all these kind of things? So there are plenty of things that we look at when we're looking at overall the robustness and resilience of a solution other than trying to hack it in a lab. So I think one of the other aspects, Emma, to the thing we need to bring out here, this isn't just about, oh, here's a product performance standard. If I comply to this, we're good. I think Adam's point around how you approach this as an organization, risk-based approach, looking at best practice, that is certainly where BSI 
kind of sees putting a, a mark of trust on something as being essential. Um, but again, here, I think the point around standards, I want to come back to this and looking at where Adam is saying, you know, okay, there's a baseline regulation here, we want to go above that. I just want to kind of throw this one open, really. When we're looking at the commercial systems here, what I've seen in other areas is taking, I'm going to take security, cybersecurity is the particular point. What I've seen is taking uh, an industry baseline set of standards and that already exist and incorporating them. And what we've seen in lighting in particular and in general connected control systems is the use of a suite of standards um, already exist there for industrial control systems, cybersecurity. Is that something that the panel thinks would be a good start point to take what is already out there in existence as a baseline? Or would you say that, no, what we're doing here is special, we need to start from scratch with something? If I go to Aston here, as a generally representing the FIA, you know, there's there's two different approaches there. What what are your initial thoughts? Obviously, you can't represent the whole of the FIA, but in terms of the IoT forum, do you look at yeah. already in industry and start with that, or do you say no, we're we're special, we need something different? Well, I think unfortunately, and it's one of the problems in the fire industry, is, is both are absolutely true. We are special because we're the, about the only product that goes into a building that is there to save people's lives. So we are special, and and that. That ethos and that drive of the best fire safety, whatever you're connecting, whether it's data or physical products, has got to be the thing that, that we're here to do. It protects our industry and it, it protects the people that we're there to protect. But <clears throat> um, we need to learn quickly from the people that are outside our industry or in adjacent industries about how they're doing things because there's a number of reasons. One, taking pragmatic steps in IoT, I think, is really important. It goes back to what Adam was talking about, customer, customer driven journeys. Being pragmatic about the problem is really important, otherwise you won't make any progress because it all very, very quickly becomes too big to worry about. Uh, if you look at the part one side, the commercial side of the world, we all have these fantastic products that all work fantastically well as uh, as, far as life safety devices, but we integrate them into bigger systems, but they're still they're still not connected outside of those systems. As a, as a sealed entity, they work beautifully, but uh, IoT presents a, a problem where we need to change processes about how we maintain safety. So yes, you can have a fantastic fire alarm system in a building, but uh, if IoT allows you to reprogram it remotely, for example, or get the signals uh, out of the system in a different way that don't meet current standards, but there's a customer demand for them, uh, and it changes the way that it's the process around that physical product standard that maintains the fire safety. So all of a sudden, IoT is, is impacting Lots and lots of different standards, lots and lots of different bits of best practice, lots of different products. Uh, and I think learning how other industries have done it and taking pragmatic steps is maybe our only way to navigate. Uh, like Jason, I do think it's a bit like the Wild West at the moment. So pragmatic may, learning from other people is really important. Yeah, and if, if I may just add to that point, of course, and, and Aston alluded to it, is don't forget that fire detection which is what I'm talking is a very broad church and traditionally there's been quite a divide not anything you know hostile but there's a very strong divide between the commercial detection side where you'd be protecting hotels and uh, schools and all of those kind of things and the domestic side 
and there will be considerable differences between uh, the two in terms of challenges and the way these integrations might go on. So, for instance, we could see in the domestic side and already have with, with certain people, you're integrating your uh, fire detection through Alexa or one of the other clever things. That's probably an awfully lot less likely in, in a commercial application. So even within fire detection, you've got that split. And if I may also address, you know, what you were saying about the standards and BSI's third party voluntary mark, as I believe the technical term is, you know, we we do have to bear in mind always, and I'm going to use a four letter word here, UKCA. So, you know, for many people, they may be looking for that kind of mark. Oh, yeah, fine. I've got a UKCA on it. Uh, that'll be fine. So. It may or may not be, uh, you know, whether we can drive it so that the UKCA on IoT products is truly meaningful or not. We all are very well aware that in um, its predecessor, the CE mark, in many respects, non-products such as smoke alarms, technically, um, it, it could be meaningless. Well, maybe not so much smoke alarms, but perhaps a heat alarm, for instance, or a a CO alarm, you, you ended up with a situation where you could have a CE mark on and it didn't actually have to work as the product that it was meant to because it complied with a weird set of regulations. So uh, that, Jason, again, that's, that's, a that's a very complicating factor. Yeah, it's a very good point. We've got to be very careful what we say formally as BSI here, but certainly we have seen that the principle of the CE mark was first to do no harm with the product itself rather than how well it performs in its intended role. But, you know, so I think, yeah, absolutely, there are, there are issues around that. Uh, I think one of the questions that has been asked, we'll come on to the, the questions from, from the audience later, is around where are we going with, with UKCA and CE marking. Um, so it sounds like what we've got here, a couple of things again, good politicians answer then, Jason, yeah, is it yes or no, it's yes and no kind of thing. Both, both aspects are probably needed here in terms of taking the, the best that's out there from industry, but absolutely, what we're doing here being life critical there are some very very specific aspects to it so i think emma yet another theme is how can within this industry we take best practice in related industries and here i'm thinking particularly around commercial around industrial control systems and very very well established cyber security around that how can we take that and then work out the delta between what's established already and what's more appropriate for the, the fire industry rather than have to reinvent the wheel. Because I know there's a whole suite of standards there covering specific projects, installations, down to product lifecycle design and all of that that could be extremely useful, but there's bound to be that delta. So I think that's both a challenge and an opportunity there. If we've seen from, from uh, potentially the FIA, you know, there's a need for both the specifics of the fire industry and to take best practice. I think that's one thing we can look at. And um, Jason, your point about clear difference between um, domestic and commercial. Um, kind of, I just put this around to some of the others on the team as well. Nick, over to you. You talked around how you have um, domestic products in there in the market, which potentially could, you know, yes, speak to Alexa or this kind of thing, but the core function of it is to perform as a local fire detection and an alarm that wouldn't then be compromised. Therefore, that's relatively low risk. You know, do you then within your organization then see that as a totally separate 
discussion to what you consider around commercial uh, and how, how, just wondering what your views are on, on the risk of the residential um, stuff versus commercial. Well, I think Aston hit the nail on the head with one word, which was pragmatic. We need a pragmatic approach. I think the idea of taking existing standards from different parts of the industry and for domestic fire safety is likely to come uh, from the system market is, is good in principle. However, where we need to be careful is the cost of systems are orders of magnitude different. And we may bring requirements in that in executing those requirements, you know, um, market adoption of IoT within our space is has been relatively slow. Uh, I know for every everybody in the industry. And if we do something which is going to massively impact the price points of devices, then that's going to that's going to potentially kill the industry. And then we're all losers, and actually the end users are losers as well. You know, we need to make sure that this technology gets out there in a reasonably safe way. And I think taking existing standards is is a very quick way to get a reasonable level of standardization into the market. But we have to be pragmatic with the way in which we apply it due to very, very different commercials between different areas of our, of, of the fire safety space. Yeah, Nick, and that brings me back right back, I think, to Aston's very first point about the state of the industry, which is that consumer awareness. Because I, I think it's not just consumer awareness, I think it's manufacturer awareness of what the real benefits are. Without that being absolutely clear, there is no point in even talking about IoT unless we can see clear benefits to our to your clients in, in one of two ways, either in improved functionality to them, doing new things or doing what we already do and doing it better, being faster, more efficient, more effective. Uh, and that might also cover, perhaps from what I've seen in, in other industries such as emergency lighting, might need to consider not so much um, the functionality, but also um, tech and compliance. I mean, there's plenty of opportunity I can see, for instance, where, you know, testing and um, demonstrating conformance to requirements for testing and this kind of thing um, is going to become more and more of an issue. And finding ways to do that in a smarter way, potentially, is some good ways of bringing where IoT can bring massive benefits to the manufacturer and pass on some of those benefits to the customers as well. So just want to throw that particular one around, see what um, the panel thinks. Aston, if I can go back to you then, you know, rather than looking at, okay, how can we look at the functionality here? What about other aspects such as, you know, maintenance, conformance, compliance, this kind of thing as well? Sure, I think, uh, I think IT is enormous and it impacts the whole, every stakeholder in our industry, which is one of the dangers of IoT, you can get lost in showbiz a bit. But uh, if I look at the commercial side, Suddenly, the, the fire and service and maintenance engineer has got a much bigger role in uh, in IoT because they're the people that demonstrate compliance. And compliance is the word we talk about all the time since Grenfell. Uh, it's how we develop that golden thread, the standards or guidance coming in and things like 8644 about digital building passports that prove uh, safety throughout the lifetime of a building. So there's already a, a big market driver and potentially a legislative drive there as well for our systems to talk to each other better. So Part six and part one is actually a good example and, and high rise residential is incredibly pertinent about the service and maintenance data joining together between the part six device in a, a residential apartment and the part one system in a common area. 
connecting that data into a digital record, a digital file logbook, if you like, of that building that can prove that everything is compliant and service are maintained effectively, it's already kind of happening. Uh, and I think we we need to understand it as an industry quickly. We need to understand the ramifications and all, all the different stakeholders involved, because it isn't just the manufacturers that make the residents of a building safe, it's the people that maintain it as well, and, and the legislators, and the people that write the standards, and getting a good a good 360 view of that is, is really important for us to develop that or combine or take the best practice from what all the different areas we want to make sure that we do have this golden thread functioning and working uh, so it isn't just uh, forced upon us. Yeah, Aston makes a very good point there as well because we as the fire industry we are fortunate in having two ways of attacking ensuring that these devices are safe and good and we're doing the right things we do have the product standards, but we're also very used to working with 5839 part one, 5839 part six, which then enhance that with the guidance of actually applying those products to a given set of circumstances. Right, some very good points. And again, Emma, I can see some themes here. So I think we need to look at the issues, benefits and risks, opportunities around the whole of the um, compliance and project specific, bringing in the installers and asset managers, you know, that's where potentially again, we can see wider benefits and certainly the need to engage with that stakeholder community. And, you know, we've seen this as well in the security industry and the lighting industry already, but you know, when we're looking at the um, resilience and robustness of a particular product, how it's then installed and maintained becomes just as critical. And on the flip side, there's a huge need then from that user community to make sure, as we're going to see it's increasing, as you said, golden thread, to make sure that that's actually maintained. So that potentially, to a certain extent, can be isolated from the functionality of the product. And does that become a key area that on the commercial side we should be focusing on potentially? Um, Adam, again, with you know your start point of that core platform, um, I don't know whether it kind of moves into looking at the kind of testing compliance as well. Is that an issue that, that you would see being important then? Oh yeah, absolutely. So the, the main driver um, with our customers for buying the, the connected, the internet connected products is around compliance. So, you know, being able to um, monitor and record and track and analyze how frequently are alarms being tested? Are they being tested at the correct intervals? Um, you know, how many how many head removal events have we got? How many, how many devices have dropped off Potentially with a fault or a low battery, um, and how many how many activation events are there? These are all this information which um, you know products like like uh, fire angels and, and ours have helped to, to bring that data to, into the hands of, of, of you know large landlords because previously this was all done by manual surveys and it resided in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. So yeah. having that having that live data is a critical part of, of, of the product, and I think. You know, we're, we're, we're all, all of us on the panel have said, you know, we build our fire products with core functionality, life, life safety functionality, then we bolt on the IoT functionality as, a, as an added enhancement. But you're absolutely right. And, and, and we, have to, we have to remember that even if that is seen as an added enhancement, if it becomes critical to business operations and the customers start to rely on having that data and rely on reliance upon that for their compliance goals, and if that suddenly goes away, or the system is down, or it's compromised, then it almost needs to be treated as another layer of that life safety um, element. So, 
you know, I think I think it's all very well to say, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're very proud of the fact we, we say it a lot. Our products will continue to function if there's no IoT element to them. You know, if, 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 it's, if everyone, everyone in the industry will say the same thing. But we almost have to go one step further and say, you know, it's not good enough. We, we won't we won't allow the IoT element to fail. We have to we have to be as resilient in that area as we are in the fire detection and, and sounding and, and um, life, life safety elements. I think we've lost David there for a second, so <laughs> we'll just give him a moment. I'm hoping it's just a a bit of a connection issue. Can you hear me, Emma? Yes, you're back. Oh, great, just dropped out for a few seconds here. The <laughs> joy of living down in the southwest. The, yeah, yes, apologies. Apologies, just dropped out there for a few seconds. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Adam. And I think at, th at this point. Um, I'm going to be moving on soon to some of the the general questions that we that we've had in. But if um, um, I could kind of want to kind of summarise now, the intention here is looking at where we're going to go with um, our academy sessions over the next few weeks. And I think Emma, we've got some really really good points there. If I'm going to look at what does the future look like, and and what you would two things, what's the future look like for you as as your organisation, and what would you like to see? as the next step in terms of um, best practice, consensus, how we move forward. Um, and then we'll go on to some general questions. Jason, if I could, as we started with you, if I could start with you again from your organization, where do you see things going forward and what would you like to see as the next steps really for bringing consensus and good practice into help? Well, uh, as I said, it would definitely be, I think FIA has got a major role to to, to play in this working with BSI because I mean uh, FIA encompasses the full gamut of fire detection from the top end commercial to the very basics of um, of, um, of domestic and as we always do you know through through our working groups and things we feed into BSI I think I'm trying not to make a xenophobic point here we, we may have a slight opportunity in speeding some of these things up because this might be a BS standard. I mean, that may be not helpful to my friends and colleagues who are operating on a much more global scale. But um, I just come back to that concern about the speed of the guidance keeping up with, with everything else. So I would definitely like to see, you know, some more guidance that is specific to fire detection um that we can then layer on top of of that general guidance on cybersecurity for want of a less broad term thank you um nick if i could go over to from your perspective you know you've got products out there in the market now making some kind of steps forward on this what, what would you like to what would you see as the next steps for your organization and what you would want to see in in terms of best practice and, and how to help uh i think it's really um looking at where the broader IoT market's going and making sure we we take advantage of the historic best practice we've had within fire but we don't lose pace with what's happening within the IoT space a good example there's uh, there's a consortium called Matter which is working on an open standard for domestic IoT it's got a few little companies involved with it like Apple and Google and Samsung, you know, that that looks like that's that's going to finally solve the problem everyone's been talking about in IoT for over 10 years. 
about having some kind of universal standard. Well, we can't be outside of that, but we need to make sure that we get involved with these open standards, but we do it in a way which is gives the, the sufficient level of best practice for our industry. I think another slightly left a field way of answering the question, um, because the honest answer is we don't know yet. And the reason that we don't know is that we're so early in the journey, the level of market adoption when we look at the overall population is still so low. And as Adam touched on, you know, as soon as you go to automating, being able to understand what's happening with the products to, to, to run maintenance, you know, we've been in an industry where we've put products into properties, we've maybe checked them once a year on a spreadsheet, often they've just been left for their entire life and they've never been checked, and suddenly we get insight into what's happening with them 24-7. And that's really exciting. And I believe, you know, in a space where we've had passive fire safety and active fire safety, we've now got a whole new sector of predictive fire safety, where we can use this information to potentially prevent fires even from happening in the first place through things like safe and well interventions. So we need to ensure that we don't hold ourselves back. We get that market adoption and we learn from the market adoption and really understand what's possible with the technology because the, the worst thing that could happen is we focus too much on trying to bolt the technology down if it doesn't really ensure it's safe. And in doing so, we, we rob society of those learnings of having this amazing insight we've never had as a sector before. That's some great insight there, Nick. I totally agree. And that's certainly where IoT has made a difference elsewhere. And the key word there you used there was that predictive. You know, it's not just, there are two aspects here. There is the real-time status of where, how things are doing. And then there is that um, over time ability to see data and trends on an unprecedented scale. And that we've seen right the way across industrial IoT 4.0, the transition there. We've seen it coming increasingly around, in general, building and asset management. So you're absolutely right. There's some massive opportunities for learning and some opportunities for benefits. We don't even know what they are yet. Um, so I think there is that path of, yes, okay, the kind of adoption of standards and looking around at the, the best practice elsewhere in a controlled fashion, and then something else that says, what can this really do for us? Because the more we can see the benefits and the return on investment, the more appetite there is for focusing on getting safe, secure, resilient solutions out there and potentially the more willingness to invest in those solutions, seeing those wider benefits. All of this, going back to the point a few of you have made, is unless people can see there's a tangible return on investment for this, there's no point in moving ahead. And the more we can look at some of these, these points like that, um, that, like I said, two things we can do. There's doing what we already do, but do it better, which is optimization. Then there's proper digital transformation, which is doing something new altogether. And I think looking at those two aspects in the window of fire, which is obviously going to be an extremely risk-averse area, will be quite a unique perspective. Where I've seen it happen before is everyone charges ahead because if you're you know, in relatively low risk areas of kind of entertainment, lifestyle, and this kind of thing, it's much, much easier. But nevertheless, there are those benefits to be had. So some great points there. And I will shut up. I'm supposed to be a facilitator, not a lecturer here. So um, I will go over to Adam to see from your perspective where you see the next steps and, and what your 
you know, call to action is for the likes of FIA and BSI? Yeah, I, I, I think um, just, just following on from, from, from Nick's point, really, that I, I sort of see it as, as, as the vendor, so speaking about ourselves, our responsibility to kind of not only take take customers on a journey, but it's, it's sort of like a, it's like a joint piece, you know, educating them about what, what are the benefits, also what are the risks, and um, and also how they can get the most out of this data. I think I think it's it's I know it's on that poll. It's really interesting. Uh, I think the the, the poll about um, obstacles to adoption. No, nobody voted that the technology is not ready. And it's funny because um, I come from a defence background, uh, that secure communications background. And um, back then, the the, the main argument was the technology is not ready. You know, wider IoT adoption. There's, there's so many holes in it. And it's it, it's great to see that as a, as a as an industry, we've, we've matured to the point where people do generally consider the technology to be ready. It's just the adoption, implementation, ongoing monitoring, the whole through life piece, uh, you know, from, from, from purchase to, to, to decommissioning. And um, I think that's where we can play a role, um, you know, and, and we already offer training for, for our, our sort of free IoT products. I think it goes beyond just the installer and the and the operator. It goes to the user and and how, you know, how that feeds into their strategy as, a, as an organization. So there's a, there's a big piece there. I think we're right at the beginning of that. And uh, as an industry and, and the FIA, we can definitely there's definitely somewhere where um, we, we would all benefit working together with that. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, again, I think that's another really, really good point and exactly the area where FIA and BSI can help. So I think, Emma, a really good observation is we all can see the technology is there, proven well enough to do a whole load of things for us. It's it, That's not the question. The question is, what are the what areas can we provide real real benefits and how do we then adopt that in a way that number one does not compromise at any point the life and asset protection aspects and secondly generates real value for all the stakeholders for the end users and for the manufacturers so it's almost like what between jason nick and adam have put there in those two comments that is the absolute heart now i think we're hearing from the industry about here's the state of things and what potentially yeah, FIA and BSI can do to really facilitate things going forward. So this point, Aston, if I can go back to you then, and maybe just reflect on your comments at the beginning around, um, you know, the obstacles to adoption and, and what you felt for the industry and what you think from what you're hearing now from the panel, where you see we could potentially go. This will then feed into our ongoing discussions in the next few sessions here. Uh, so I think from the panel, the, the real the real positive for me is everyone is talking about this. Everyone is 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 making clear what they think the issues are, and some people are putting forward solutions. So more of us all just talking about what the issues are and putting solutions together, so we can develop some kind of integrated solution for safety, for fire safety in the UK, uh, is important because that's why we're here, and and that's where IoT is going to take us, whether we like it or not. And I'd much rather that the UK industry with the people that benefit from that other than someone like an Apple who one day woke up and decided we're great at integrating things, let's let's go and do fire safety, we've done everything else. I'd much rather that it was this industry that understands fire safety that created that environment and benefited from it than, than a big disruptor coming in and doing it for us. Uh, one, because it would damage all of our companies, but two, it may well damage the fire safety regime that we built in this country over many, many years and, and lots of hard lessons. Uh, so more talking, more being honest about problems and solutions is really important. I think uh, that the biggest thing that the, the responders to the, the IoT forum survey said was that their customers just weren't aware of the benefits 
And that's a really interesting result to a maybe a badly worded question. Uh, I have some responsibility for the wording of the question. So, but it's uh, aware of the benefits. The benefits are huge. Uh, so it's hard to understand how big the benefits could be in, in one sense. Uh, and on, on the other side, they're really simple. So again, it's, it's about it's about being able to go from a really big picture down to small pragmatic steps that we can all take together to build that bigger picture. Uh, I, I don't think anyone around this table has the answers, but it's great to see. I mean, when David talked about the the cybersecurity, uh, the, the hexagon picture, and how the first three are great, but they just don't really relate to the, to our industry, and how we need to make that happen quickly. Well, I think that's fantastic because we've got that wider global view, and we understand the pragmatic steps we need to take to make a picture that works from us. Uh, Technology not being ready. Yeah, 30% of our respondents said technology wasn't ready. But again, badly worded question, maybe. I think part of that is uh, they don't see the cybersecurity framework around a connected product. So that means the product's not ready because all of our things we do don't, don't exist in isolation. So in summary, I don't want to talk too much. It's more of this, more talking. But we've got to do it quickly and we've got to do it in a focused way. So we come out with some answers pretty quick, I think. Well, thanks, Aston and Emma. I think there's so much i think we can take away from this session it's going to kind of i think help shape the rest of the academy here uh, i've got to say we we when we did this for um the security industry around smart locks there was kind of good engagement but this has been another level i think in terms of how um how there's a vision here i think of what the potential is and, and what the obstacles are and the pragmatic ways of how we can move forward um so yeah, thank you everyone for that I'm just going to go through some of the questions that um, were put in um, before this uh, event. Some of them, to a certain extent, we've we've mentioned already. Others we haven't. Some of them are quite straightforward and relating to BSI, and, and I will potentially address others. I'm going to throw out to um, throw out to the rest of the panel as well. So the first question we've got was around UK adopting this ETSI EN 303645 standard. And what's the transition time for UK companies to comply? Now, again, we don't have any details for this when the regulation comes in and it's now just working its way through as an act before, as a bill, sorry, before it then becomes an act. Um, there will inevitably be transition times. Um, we just got to look historically at what that has been. Sometimes it might be a year or two years or whatever. But the key point I want to make here is there's a reason why this regulation is coming in. And the reason is there, there is a very clear and present risk around connected devices. And if you have a product that you are placing on the market right now, the question isn't so much, how long have I got to have to comply with that baseline regulation? It's you need to adopt best practice today. We're not talking about just compliance with a, a baseline regulation for market access. We're talking about responsible behavior for towards your own customers, towards your investors, stakeholders, and to others you do business with. And that this is why, for me, the regulation is newsworthy and attracts attention, but the real story behind that is absolutely critical. That, once again, IoT is a big risk. And if you have an IoT-connected product, you should be adopting that best practice as it suits you in full in this particular sector, I would say, rather than the bare minimum regulation right now today as your duty of care to your customers, and to those you do business with. I don't know if anyone else has got any comments on that, but that's certainly one, as you can tell, I feel quite passionate about. Okay, uh, the next one was, um, um, how would the academy, 
benefit fire safety professionals, both experienced and new qualified trainees. Um, this one I actually would be interested in, in, in the panel's view as well. What we're aiming to do here is draw out the key things in industry and the key issues and obstacles and how we need to move forward. But I think it's also this awareness and understanding of, of ROI is probably something we all need to ensure filters right to our organizations, whether it's those who are designing products, those who are installing them, uh, and this kind of thing as well. So I'll put it round to the to the rest of the panel, maybe starting with Aston from an FIA perspective. We've got the organizational level here. What do you see in the need then for um, individual professionals to, uh, or new uh, apprentices into this area, the need there for um, awareness and understanding of the technology? Okay. Uh, I think uh, the fact that we're talking about experience and new qualified trainees is interesting uh, because the, the, the fire safety industry is a fascinating industry and it's full of people who know all the problems because they've, do, they've done it for years and they come across the problems all the time, but there's no solution for them. IoT accelerates that pressure, I think. Uh, and then the new qualified trainees are the people that are going to be making us safe for the next 20 years. So them understanding how this future is going to change and having an impact on on, on how it can change and work better for them is, is just as important as the old guys like me trying to to find ways to make the uh, the, the problems that they've experienced go away. And I like to say IoT is just a big washing machine that washes all this together and makes it come out faster. And we, we have to kind of get a, a handle on it. It's a tiger by the tail. Yeah, absolutely. Then I suppose, again, looking at one organisation that's starting down that journey Jason, I, I don't know what you feel you need within your organization for either the more experienced or the uh, or the newcomers then in terms of understanding around IoT. Uh, yeah, sorry, part of what Aston said dropped out. I lost his audio there. I don't know whether that was me or his end. Um, again, the, the point I would make is the slight differentiation between commercial and domestic fire detection. So we will probably straddle a couple of camps uh, with many of um, Adam and Nick's customers, these things may be being installed by professionals, not necessarily fire professionals. They may be electrical installation professionals, so we've got to cover that off. Um, but at the other end of the market, in domestics, we're going to have a lot of these things being installed by the end user. So we always have to bear that in mind. Now, again, some very, very good points there, I think. Um, I'm just going to have to move on to try and get through most of these questions in the, in the time remaining. The next question we had, a great one, Richard, as you and I discussed, is is the UKCA uh, response to fire testing and classification going to diverge from CE marking requirements and diverge from what we see now as the you know, EN 13501 classifications? And really, you know, from BSI's perspective, you know, we, we can't actually say we don't actually know. There is so much going on within um, the move from CE to UKCA marking right now. Um, the government is um, just being cautious about what it says because it doesn't want to send out any incorrect messages and send industry charging off one way or the other. So at the moment, it's taking a measured view, leaving its options open. So unfortunately, I think that's a really good question, and it's certainly one that affects us all. Uh, on this panel today, but we don't really have any answers. And it's one, certainly I know, Richard, that, that you and the team are very, very close to at the moment. I don't have any comments from your side on that. Well, absolutely. Um, 
you know, I think there's a misconception that, that the, the certification bodies know these answers before industry. We don't. You know, the, it, the, the government um, make the call on any divergence and, and we have to follow the same. Yeah, exactly. So it's one, again, as being part of this forum, like any forum where we're discussing these critical matters around, around the fire industry, you know, we're there to help share information and inform as, as soon as we know. Um, next question we got is, to what extent would we be a side like this academy to collaborate with the FIA's IoT forum? And Aston, this is something we've talked about. We absolutely see 100% um, intention to collaborate and to do more like this. this. This we see as the first step in a wider collaboration between the FIA's IoT forum and, and BSI's IoT um, department as well. So um, it's something we've started here working together and we intend to develop further uh, you know, for the benefit of the industry going forward. Don't think, Aston, any comment on that from you? No, I totally agree. Like I said before, it's really important that we all get our collective ducks in a row and this is the only way it can happen. Thank you. Um, next question was around cybersecurity standards and guidance and what was what would be a must-have for the UK. Can I quickly add, David, we also had someone else ask that question on the chat. So they said we're referencing a lot about best practice, but where, what is this best practice? So um, while we've got onto that standards and guidance, I think that's just worth you knowing that's also coming through the um, chat as well. Okay, so when it looks to best practice and guidance for IoT security, for, so for device cybersecurity, the European standard, EN303645, we've alluded to, is freely available as a download for any, for everybody. Yes, it talks about consumer IoT. There's a reason, and that's because from a government perspective, that was the, the biggest area where they saw manufacturers were putting the obligation on consumers to decide whether a product is secure or not. However, that best practice is well established and being developed from um, extensive involvement with industry. And it's a freely available baseline. As I've mentioned, it's though it's a standard, it is more about guidance and it's actually quite easily digestible. It's not a load of techno babble. It's really, really quite straightforward to read and understand. So that's one thing we'll be looking into in some of the later sessions. But right now, if you just do a web search on Etsy EN303645 or Etsy Consumer IT Security, you will find it, you can download it for free, and it's excellent, excellent guidance. Um, we also, so BSI also works with the um, IoT Security Foundation as well, IoTSF, and they, on their website, they have a multitude of um, best practice guides around all aspects here that have been developed collaboratively with organizations like BSI and with industry. So IoTSF, IoT Security Foundation, there's a wealth of knowledge there, freely available. Uh, and again, it's all been written to be relatively plain speaking, easy to understand, useful information. And that's something Aston will be exploring collaboratively with the FIA as well. Now, what's a must have for the UK? Right now, to be honest, there's nothing. There is nothing within CE or current UKCA referring to cybersecurity. Um, as we said, this is regulation, that is currently going to be put through as uh, a bill before Parliament imminently. And that will be the first bit of regulation in Europe. You can say we've left the EU, we haven't left Europe. Um, this will be the first piece of regulation. Um, 
this will be the strongest piece of regulation and IoT anywhere in the world. Around cybersecurity in general, there's two aspects to this. There's the product and there's the organization. Yeah, and we do, maybe let's not confuse things now, but there's something we'll touch on through these sessions and some of the other aspects of what you need to consider around cybersecurity as an organization, schemes like the government's cyber essentials and this kind of thing. The rest of that will kind of park for another session. But right now, I go back to EN303645 and the IoT Security Foundation as guidance. And it must have those three points. No default passwords, vulnerability disclosure policy, and a policy for how long you'll do security updates. One point on that, and I know we're running out of time, we've got a few more questions, but this is really, really important. That regulation's come in, it sounds easy, those three points. Some of the organizations we've been working with around our Kite Mart scheme uh, and current certifications, we've been using this standard, it has taken them over a year to agree on things like vulnerability disclosure and um, software lifetime policy. These are very big things that will have to get signed off at the C-suite level because there are going to be a public statement about your company and the investment you're putting in the products and how you take cybersecurity seriously. So going back to that point again about what will be the transition time, you might have got a year or longer, two years to comply. Right now, you should be doing it to protect your organization and protect your customers. If I can sneak in with a cheeky advert, the uh, IoT forum at the FIA, we've got a cybersecurity group, which is deliberately looking from people within the industry at what guidance and steps we need to create uh, alongside people like BSI to to create guidance and best practice and eventually hopefully standards in this area. So if anyone uh, has strong opinions, you'd be more than welcome. The next, so the next question I had then, I'm gonna put this one to, to Adam first of all. So just give you a heads up Adam, it's coming your way. Um, this one was around ensuring continuity of operations in the event of a breakdown of the IoT communication. So how would you do that? Now, Adam, obviously this is something that, that you've considered as you've mentioned, what are the provisions you put in place, either from the scope of the connectivity or then from how it's implemented, that mitigate that risk? Well, so we already talked about the, the core functionality. So, you know, exactly like uh, Nick mentioned, the, the, the alarm functions, no impact there. In terms of the connectivity, um, from, from the very beginning, everything's built with uh, multiple redundant um, steps and, and, and links in the chain so you know the, the individual device will, will store readings messages locally if, if the connectivity drops um, our gateway device will do the same thing store store messages so when connectivity is restored um, you know we can then sort of backfill that data so so from a customer perspective this, this it's all been designed to be a very seamless experience you know maybe a momentary drop out of, of live readings but you know as anyone knows it's not really about the the real-time readings it's about the kind of previous hour or the previous day and looking at the trends um yeah and, and you know in, in terms of in terms of um sort of operational management you know each of our gateways they will they will sort of uh be once they once they disappear we can detect that and there's, there's, a, there's a heartbeat system that, that monitors them so yeah, yeah it's sorry, really sorry, sorry to interrupt just to work. so what you're saying then this is an important factor here in order to build that resilience in, the design consideration will inevitably add complexity and cost rather than straightforward or buying a connection. And that, I think, is at the heart of probably what everyone said with all of this. And it comes then down to that return on investment. Looking at the time here, we're going to come up to the point where um, 
we just want to round off this session. As I said, the purpose of this was really to set the seat. We're going to then have a few more sessions over the next few months looking at how we actually move on and progress. But if I can ask, go around the team here just to, to give your one point you would like the audience to take away and then Emma back to you just to summarize where we go from here. Nick, if I could just call on you first, what would be your one takeaway from the audience for this for this session? Um, the fire safety sector in the UK is a very complex environment at the moment, uh, more so than I've seen in the last over 20 years. So I don't think uh, it, it's, I'd be exaggerating in any way to say confidently more is going to change within the next five years than has changed in the next in the last 30. So I think what's really important is that purchasers future-proof themselves and those working within the industry, you know, get up to speed with this uh, IoT technology. We talked about new new people joining our industry and some of the challenges that they're actually in pole position because they'll become native with this technology and no one's going to uninvent it. So these are going to be in a fantastic position getting on and getting into the ground floor on a new technology revolution. Thanks, very good points, um, particularly around the new blood coming in. Um, Adam, for, for you, what, what would you say is the one big takeaway for the audience from today? Uh, I, I think, um, just really briefly, I'd say that um, it, it, it would be great to see um, customers and end users um, being very prescriptive about what they want from a, from a product and from a, from, a, from a security standard perspective. So almost demanding a certain quality, a certain standard, and not letting it be up to the industry to dictate what that should be. Uh, we see it in other industries, uh, especially with the automotive industry. It's very, you know, it's very prescribed by the customer. They want a certain safety standard, a certain level of features. Um, and I think, you know, it, it needs to be flipped on its head a bit. I think we need to put, we need to empower the users and the customers to really dictate what level they, they want. And, and that's an edu we need to, again, we need to educate both sides in that. And, um, and exactly, Adam. Yeah. So I think that's something I think we need to consider as this group: how to inform that um, user community so they can make those decisions. Very good point. It seems like we've lost Jason. I don't know if he's there, Jason. Um, looking at the time, I'll just go on to Aston. Um, and and uh, if you wouldn't mind, from your perspective, final comments. Yeah, I think it makes the, the, the today's session was brilliant. Thank you uh, for organising it. Really, really, really good. Uh, I think we're all experts in our individual area. IoT is a unique challenge because it knits all of our individual areas together and makes a much bigger part of of what we do and the only way we're going to create the legislation the, gu the guidance the best practice that our customers will accept and make them comfortable with the technologies is by all working through the problems together and that's why that's why we started the iot forum and it's why things like this are really really important thanks so uh, please as many people can engage in things like this as possible it will really benefit our industry thanks Aston, and thanks everyone this is the first step this was about setting the scene we're now going to be calling on you all really to get more involved. So um, thank you to everyone for joining us today. I'll just hand back to Emma to wrap up. Thank you ever so much, David, and thank you to all our panelists. So you'll see a slide showing at the minute, and um, Aston summed it up perfectly when he said before that we need more talking, we need to share solutions, we need to take pragmatic steps. So this is how we're also helping. So if you haven't already, please sign up for our masterclass. This is just the start of the conversation. So you've obviously 
heard the panelists today, but we're going to be sending you some free assets that may help with your kind of education and your organization's journey. They won't resolve everything, but um, we've taken um, the pain of reading through some of the, <laughs> the uh, available um, pieces of legislation and Etsy standards and digested them down into slightly more palatable format. We'll still encourage you to go and read the full information, but we have that available to send to you. Um, you know, join that FIA IoT forum, keep the discussion going. And we're also planning on holding another Q&A session later on this year towards the end of November. So it's almost you've got your learning journey now. <laughs> so go away, digest, think what else you wish you'd ask, and we'll convene again and bring you all together. So I really want to thank again Nick, Jason, Adam, Aston, David and Richard for their fantastic conversation today. Please still feel free to send us questions. I think Wahida has made an inbox available to you in that chat function. So if you walk away and think of something half an hour later, please, I implore you to still send us that. We want to keep this dialogue going and um, look at how best we can support this industry through this innovative and transformative, oh, can't speak, transformative change. So please do get involved. And um, thank you all again for listening and for participating. Thank you very much, thank you. and thank you, and goodbye. Thank you. Bye.